0: As Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine rages on, many scholars warn that authoritarianism is sinking in its teeth across the globe. In fact, it's been that way for most of the 21st century. According to a new report from the pro-democracy nonprofit Freedom House, global democracy has declined for the 16th year in a row. So what's behind this surge and what do we mean when we say authoritarianism? Today, we put those questions and your comments to our panel. This episode is part of our two-year reporting project called Remaking America. From democracy to science and civics, Remaking America will examine the health of our institutions and where the U.S. goes from here. After the break, we'll take a deeper look at what we mean when we say authoritarianism and explore the rise of it around the globe. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to join future conversations, have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think. Tweet us at 1A. Let's jump into our conversation on authoritarianism. Joining us is Ruth Ben-Ghiat. She's a professor of history and Italian studies at NYU. She's also the author of Strong Men, Mussolini to the Present. Professor Ben-Ghiat, welcome back to the program.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Also joining us is Sarah Rapucci. She's the Vice President of Research and Analysis at Freedom House. That's a nonprofit that tracks and advocates for global democracy. Sarah, it's great to have you with us.
2: Great to be here.
0: Now, Professor, in your book, Strong Men, you trace authoritarian history from former Italian Prime Minister Benito Mussolini to the present. But let's just start with with a definition. What do you mean when you say authoritarianism?
1: Authoritarianism is a very, there's no one consensus on what it means. It's uh, a a, a political system where the executive exercises um, a huge amount of power where, and we have kind of an authoritarian playbook where they use repression, propaganda, corruption. I also consider machismo as ways to legitimate themselves and, and stay in power. And obviously, you have a suppression of judiciary, of the press, of anything that can check the executive's power.
0: And who are some of the more prominent authoritarian leaders over the last century?
1: Well, <clears throat> Mussolini really wrote the playbook in the 1920s and it's easy to uh, forget that Hitler was a big fan and admirer uh, and copied many things that Mussolini did um and so you have you have seasons of authoritarianism you had the fascist era then you have the era of the cold war with military juntas and communist bloc. And now we've been, you know, since the fall of communism, we have this kind of, I call them new authoritarians. And the big change is that most of these people come to power via elections. And this is called electoral autocracy. And then they have to fix uh, and, you know, game elections to stay there. And so we have Erdogan, we have Orban in Hungary, we have Putin, And I see Donald Trump uh, as having had autocratic aspirations. And so he, it's mine's the first book to put Trump in historical perspective as one of these, uh, at least in his intentions.
0: We spoke with a panel about Russia's state-run media. And here's what Peter Pomerantsev, a scholar of Russian propaganda, had to say about Putin's message to the rest of the world.
3: It's our world. It's China's world. It's the world of brute force where minorities, whether ethnic or more countries which are minorities in the world system or my, people with minority rights like LGBT or women, you don't have any rights. All that matters is my fist in your face. And that's what they're saying. And as far as they're concerned, they're winning because we're doing all this noise, these sanctions, and they're like, we don't care about your sanctions. We're going to push through. That's their strategic narrative. Um, and it's one aimed at us. Uh, it's one aimed primarily at the US. This is Not just a story about Ukraine, which is uh, the sort of, in Putin's mind, the sort of battered wife that he needs to keep on battering to prove his self-worth. But the real enemy is America. What he talks about is America. What their propaganda seeds about is America. What fills his mind is America. He wants to show the world and Americans themselves that they are a busted flush, that they are irrelevant, that their power is over.
0: Sarah, last month, your organization, Freedom House, released its annual report on global democracy and it found that freedom around the world declined for the 16th year in a row. First off, how do you measure freedom?
2: Sure. So, Freedom House, for the last nearly 50 years, has put out a report called Freedom in the World. And Freedom in the World looks at political rights and civil liberties in every country around the world. We have a standardized methodology. So, that we can examine freedom in these different countries, even though these contexts are so different. We look at everything from free and fair elections, the way the government functions, whether there's an environment to protect against corruption. We look at fundamental rights like free association, free press, freedom of religion, the rule of law, whether there's an independent judiciary. And combined, we score each country on a 100-point score, and that enables us to say whether countries are free, partly free, or not free.
0: Which countries are seeing the biggest drop-off in that measurement of freedom?
2: So this year, uh, the report looking at 2021 found that the two countries with the greatest declines were Myanmar, which suffered from a coup last year. We'd seen really great improvements in freedom in Myanmar over the past few years, and those have been wiped out by this coup. And in Afghanistan, where sadly, the withdrawal of the American military and the takeover by the Taliban has led to a severe restriction on rights of women, minority groups, and also just ordinary Afghans.
0: Where is democracy most protected?
2: So the countries that do best in our scores are in uh, Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, Finland. Um, but I would also call out that we have seen a lot of improvement in some countries. Um, Ecuador is one that I would call out where uh, there was an autocratic leaning president and he stepped down and was replaced by a reformer. And now there's a yet another new democratic regime in place and they've been improving.
0: We got this email from David who says, Aside from the destabilizing effects of misinformation spread by social media and related to it, many people seek to outsource their decisions to leadership during stressful periods when decisions are difficult. And another of you emailed this, Tyranny thrives on chaos and we live in an increasingly chaotic time due to both circumstances and subversive agendas amplified by media, social and commercial. In their stress and confusion, many cling to strong leaders and grant them increasing authority as chaos spreads. Professor Bengiat, what do we know about the factors that typically lead to authoritarian regimes?
1: Um, I think your, your listeners are right on target. So what I wanted to do in my book uh, was to go over a century and see these patterns around the world of what, what conditions are there to support when these strongman type of personalities come up. One of the things we see is when societies have made a lot of uh, progress it could be gender emancipation could be racial equity um, it could be workers rights and over and over again for 100 years what seems to be euphoric progress for many was the same in Spain in the years before the coup of, of Francisco Franco uh, puts others into a state of kind of existential panic, um, you know, it, classically in Euro-American context, white males feel their authority is threatened. Um, we had this in Russia. Um, the 1990s were, t- you know, complete disaster, collapse of, there was mass male suicide, alcoholism, And this is uh, what, you know, Putin came in as this kind of strong and competent leader. Um, There were apartment bombings, which were handy for him, uh, never totally cleared why they occurred, but they propelled him as the first kind of post-Cold War strongman. So you have these cycles, and what one of the, the chaos is important to mention, because it's true that strongmen create emergencies. Since the Reichstag fire um, in 1933, there's been a series of what I call shock events. They're uh, crises that sometimes the, the leader creates, sometimes he just exploits them to um, accelerate his um, you know, amassing of power. We also had another example is the 2016 coup event against Erdogan. And so they create chaos and uh, legitimize the strongman to say he's going to restore order. And coups are the same kind of thing where, you know, there's a coup that creates upheaval and then they say we have martial law, we're going to return to order. And in the 21st century, chaos is also sustained by information warfare and the Russians have written that playbook and Putin, that says that you can never really know what truth is. It's not just uh, lies, it's also half-truths, rumors, and the the intent is to leave people in a state of exasperation and chaos.
0: Sarah, according to Freedom House, why is democracy in decline?
2: there There are many factors leading to the decline, but one that I would call out that is most prominent now is the ways that authoritarian regimes are cooperating to present alternatives to democracy. This cooperation isn't based on a unifying ideology the way that communism was, or really necessarily any friendship among these authoritarians. It's the shared interest in staying in power. And they are willing to do any means necessary and to support each other for this. Well, what we're seeing is that this cooperation and these viable alternatives to to democracy are not new, but they are finally starting to play out in really dramatic effects on the ground.
0: I want to read this email from Barry, who says authoritarianism is on the rise because democracy has failed to deliver economically for most citizens. As wealth is increasingly concentrated among elites and democracies, the impoverished majority will turn to non-democratic approaches. Those approaches won't redistribute economic gains, but once people realize that, it's too late to get the dictator out of office. The only way to save democracy is to achieve a fairer distribution of economic benefits. Sarah, as you've researched democracy globally, Does that resonate with what you found in your research?
2: Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, what people want is first and foremost, personal security and for their their families. And then after that, they want economic well-being and prosperity. And if they feel that their government is not delivering on those things, they are going to start to look for alternatives. And unfortunately, what we've been seeing is an increasing distrust that democracy can serve individuals' interests and what they're looking for in their lives. And I don't think that this is actually the fault of democracy. I think that democracy does continue to be the system that can can bring the most prosperity and security. But as China has risen and as um, other authoritarians, including those that Ruth mentioned, Erdogan and Putin and Orban, has they have... Um, pushed their propaganda and their messages about how these more repressive societies can actually be successful um, people are starting to think oh well maybe democracy isn't the best system and we have to counter that distrust in addition to countering the abuses. Professor
0: Benguiad, I want to hear from you on this as well because when I when I read Barry's email and, and that focus on uh, the economic, portion of the conversation. I'm thinking about what you said about how gains in certain other areas, be it um, racial equity or gender equity, how that gives rise to a feeling of displacement for other groups, be it real or imagined. So what's your response to Barry's argument here?
1: Yeah, well, the the genius of these uh, strongman leaders is that even before they get into office, they start Um, You know, they they have this kind of ideology of victimhood that they're going to stand up for those who have been disenfranchised, including economically, and they are going to be their protectors and defenders. The irony is that there is no authoritarian who is not highly corrupt. Corruption is absolutely fundamental to the entire basis of authoritarianism. To uh, give an example in the news today, uh, Putin has the most fully realized kleptocracy since uh, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. And he's you know, probably the wealthiest man in the world. And so the irony is that these men come in and Trump is the same. Uh, Trump's goal in being, he promised to kind of protect the disenfranchised, the forgotten, this, the, the people who were having problems economically and then his goal as president was an autocratic one, which was to enrich himself and Trump Organization.
0: We got this email from Anne, who says, "I heard America is presently not a democracy; it's an anocracy." Would your guest agree or disagree with this assessment, Sarah? First, explain what an anocracy is.
2: Yeah, so that is based on. Um, a study that was done that um, looks at democracy differently than Freedom House does. Um, By our measures, we would say that the United States still is a democracy, but we are definitely a democracy that is in decline. And unfortunately, this decline actually started before the Trump administration and relates to long-standing weaknesses in our system, I'll call out two big ones. the unequal treatment of certain segments of the population, especially people of color and discrimination in this country, and also the rise of political polarization and the many impacts that that has had on our political system. These are problems that that predate Trump, but then were exacerbated during the years of the Trump administration, and our democracy today is at risk of slipping
0: and we should mention again, an inocracy is a semi-democracy, if you will. It's part democracy, part... What role does iconography play in authoritarian regimes?
1: Oh, it's absolutely fundamental. When we talked before about um, the argument about how, you know, authoritarians manipulate the idea of that democracy can't deliver um, economically that what authoritarians do so well, and the far right in general has done, but the far left too, uh, is to uh, create a sense of a political community. And look what Trump did. He he gathered this kind of big tent for all the extremists, all the racists, but he gave them uh, political rituals, uh, the chanting, lock her up, that people love. It became very important to their identity. He gave them Uh, tribal markings, the MAGA hats, and that's where the iconography comes in. You have the uniforms, the swastikas. These are things that people use to mold a new social identity, a new political identity, and they feel part of a community. Um, I would say with regard to Russia, the, the amazing but totally predictable thing there is that you know, the the censorship going on where you're not supposed to just call it a war, you're supposed to call it a a special military operation is because uh, Putin has invested for 20 years in this ideology of Russian victimhood that Russia's victimized by the West. And it's it's longer, it's older than Putin, but he's used it very effectively. And if you uh, call it a war, then you're the aggressor and Russia can never be the aggressor. It must always be the victim. And so this, uh, these, These very uh, striking graphic symbols, they need everything they can, propaganda-wise, visually, uh, to to kind of put forth this idea of Russian unity when, in fact, you know, things are falling apart in Russia. Mm
0: -hmm. We got this email from one of you who says, I lived in Franco's Spain. The thing you come to dislike is the fear. There is suspicion and spying. You fear it will change, that it is unreliable, or that you may be entrapped or wrongly accused. It is a chronic, pervasive background of tension and stress. You are watched, listened to, even if only casually or incidentally. Elsira, according to independent polls from the NGO Levada Center, President Putin's approval rating was at 71% before his invasion of Ukraine. Broadly speaking, how does public opinion trend as leaders become more authoritarian?
2: Well, so you can't really know, right, because everything is so tightly controlled in Russia right now. And people also are don't have access to independent information. Most people are not going to go through the many hoops they would have to jump through in order to access news from outside of Russia. And within Russia, what they're hearing is everything is going well, your best interests are being served and um, this is a a just war. Um, So I think we need to keep that in mind when we think about public opinion polls. Um, There are always people who identify well with the, the success of a strong leader but there are also always many, many victims. And as our our listener mentioned, there is a lot of fear, there's a lot of distrust. Um, People living in that kind of society are, trust in the people around you is very intimately linked to people's Mm -hmm. happiness. Um, It's hard to be happy when you don't know what is happening around you. And I think that that's unfortunately a a huge loss for the people in Russia right now who are suffering under this regime.
0: I want to add another voice to the conversation. Joining us now is Bill Browder. He's the CEO of Hermitage Capital Management. That's an investment management company based in London. He's also the author of the forthcoming book Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. Bill, welcome to the program. Great to be here. So you went from the biggest foreign investor in Russia to one of President Putin's most outspoken critics. How did that happen?
4: Well, I started to um, uh, discover massive fraud in the companies that I was investing in, uh, perpetrated by corrupt officials and oligarchs. And so I exposed the fraud in the Western media. And of course, you can imagine that didn't make me very popular. And so I was expelled from the country. My offices were then raided Uh, I hired a young lawyer named Sergei Magnitsky to investigate the raid. He discovered that the raid was used to perpetrate another fraud conducted by Russian officials. He then uh, testified against the officials. We exposed that fraud. And those same officials then uh, arrested him, tortured him for 358 days, and killed him in Russian police custody in November of 2009. Since then, uh, I've gone on a mission to get justice for Sergey. I've put aside all of my investment management activities and become a full time justice activist. And I was able to get a law passed named after Sergey Magnitsky called the Magnitsky Act, which imposes asset freezes and visa bans on the people who killed Sergey, the people who do similar things in Russia, and people who do similar things all around the world. Hmm. We've expanded the act first in, from the United States to Canada, then to the UK, then to the EU, Norway. Kosovo, Montenegro, Australia. Um, we now have 34 countries in total that have it. And this is the basis for which uh, Vladimir Putin and his cronies are being sanctioned now.
0: What effort did it take to get the Magnitsky Act passed?
4: Well, it was a totally um, uphill battle all the way. Um, no government at, at that time wanted to do anything negative that would in any way insult Putin provoke him uh, uh, make him responsible for the crimes that, that he committed and um, and it was only through just unbelievably persistent work and eventually finding allies in, in different in in the Senate and Congress and then in different parliaments around the world that I was able to pressure governments to do it but um, <clears throat> I mean it's it's it was remarkable that I was able to do it given how much you know how, how how much support effectively Putin had inside the governments of the world to do nothing.
0: We're talking about the surge of authoritarianism worldwide. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our OneA Voxpop app and leave us a voicemail. We're talking about Putin, Ukraine, and the global rise of authoritarianism. Let's hear from President Biden. This is the president addressing the nation on the first anniversary of the January 6th Capitol attack. I
4: will defend this nation. And I will allow no one to place a dagger at the throat of democracy. We will make sure the will of the people is heard that the ballot prevails, not violence, that authority in this nation will always be peacefully transferred. I believe the power of the presidency And the purpose is to unite this nation, not divide it, to lift us up, not tear us apart. See, about us, about us, not about me. Deep in the heart of America burns a flame, lit almost 250 years ago, of liberty, freedom, and equality. This is not a land of kings or
0: dictators or autocrats. We're a nation of laws, of order, not chaos, of peace, not violence, We've been talking about examples of anti-democracy abroad. But, Sarah, how strong is the U.S.'s democracy today?
2: So democracy has been in decline in this country. We rate every country in the world on a 100-point scale. And the U.S. on that scale has dropped from being up with countries we generally might think of as our peers, like the U.K. or Germany, down to a score of 83 out of 100, where we are peers now with countries like Romania and Panama. Um, These are, again, still democracies, but countries that have some serious flaws in their system. And we are seeing those flaws here in the United States as well. I mentioned discrimination earlier, um, political polarization, but we're also seeing real threats to our electoral system, Um, false accusations of fraud from prominent officials, including the former president, that have made people lack trust in our electoral system, which of course is the bedrock of our democracy. And now we're also seeing threats and intimidation against electoral administrators which is making them resign in unprecedented numbers. So I think there's not only concerns about the past in the United States, but also going forward.
0: So the U.S. has become synonymous with democracy, Sarah. So what does it say to you about the overall health of democracy if there are concerns about its strength here?
2: Yeah, I mean, the United States is arguably the most visible democracy in the world where you know we're a large country we've been a democracy for many decades which is much longer than most other countries have and other countries look to us as a as a sign of hope for their own country what they could be aspirational but also autocratic regimes look at us, and when, we, when our, discover, our democracy is suffering, for example, on January 6th of last year, um, we do see that authoritarians call that out and say, oh, well, you can't complain about what's happening in Russia or in China. Look what's happening in the United States. And of course, the kinds of repression that we see in Russia and China are much, much more serious and more systematic. But it does harm the credibility of democracy when such a prominent country like the United States is seeing these challenges.
0: Here's a tweet we got from one of you. Democracy has declined because the supposedly big giants of democratic governments are supporting and dealing with dictatorial governments. Democratic governments are keeping most dictators in power. Professor ben what do you think?
1: I mean, I mentioned before the role of Western enablers, but that's—it's not that we can't just blame the West for keeping d- dictators in power. And in fact, the, what's going on in the United States is is, is proof of that. Because um, I would go further than what Sarah said. I mean, the GOP is an authoritarian party now. The one of the things Donald Trump did was to convert this party that was already heading out of democracy into, uh, he, he imposed an authoritarian political discipline on it. It is a far-right party that, that is, uh, has, it has exited democracy. It no longer has any interest in that. And the drama that we face, which is supported by a large vociferous base from below, is that in other countries, you have a, you know coalition governments. And so in Serbia and Hungary, for example, The opposition, a wide opposition, has united uh, with upcoming elections against the autocrats. But we have two parties, and one of them is no longer in democracy. So that is the American drama right now. Bill, you've spent uh,
0: much of of your work trying to provide tools to, to push against autocratic governments. How are you feeling about the strength and health of the U.S.'s democracy right now?
4: Well, um, I was kind of scared um, as I was watching uh, the situation unfold under Trump. In fact, Trump, uh, Putin even asked Trump to hand me over at the Helsinki summit. But for all the people um, screaming about how terrible the situation is in the United States, um, uh, no journalists were arrested, no opposition politicians were put in jail, um, no uh, dissidents were assassinated. And so I think that, that the institutions... Um, held. They held pretty well compared to what I've seen happen in Russia and other terrible places around the world. And so it, it's, it's scary to see all that being attacked, but, but we have to understand that the, we're, we're so, so far away from the world of, of uh, you know having an opposition politician poisoned with Novichok um, and then going into a coma and then arrested when he comes back into the country, which is the, what, what, the kind of stuff that happens in Russia. It's a long, long way away from that.
0: I got this email from Jay who says, What social institutions are helping in preventing the rise of authoritarians or rebuilding after authoritarians fall? I always notice attacks on universities, libraries and archives in places that are moving toward authoritarianism. Sarah, what can you tell us?
2: Yeah, universities are definitely an early target. um, But two others I would call out are the independent media, which um, we'll usually see Phases of restrictions. Right now in Russia, you're seeing full censorship, uh, blatant censorship, and by law. Um, and the judiciary. The judiciary is what presents the greatest check on authoritarian executive power. And when you don't, when you have completely compliant judges who do the government's bidding, um, you don't have any opportunity for redress. And so those tend to be the first targets. And likewise, the f- institutions that need to be rebuilt very early on in order to bring democracy back.
0: What are you watching for, Professor Ben Ghiat, uh, as we continue to move through through this phase in our history?
2: Um, globally, yes. you mean? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, it's true. It's true that the authoritarianism is increasing, but I also want to say that um, there is a sense of that it is not sustainable environmentally. Uh, economically, and 2019 was the global uh, record for protests all around the world, including against economic inequality. In our country, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, was the biggest social mobilization movement in American history, and we voted out very rare an autocrat in the middle of consolidating power. So there is this counter uh, movement, which is extremely strong, that is developing global, globally.
0: That's Ruth Ben-Ghiat. She's a professor of history and Italian studies at NYU. She's also the author of *Strongmen: Mussolini to the Present. Also with us today, Sarah Rappucci. She's the vice president of research and analysis at Freedom House. That's a nonprofit that tracks and advocates for global democracy. And Bill Browder. He's the CEO of Hermitage Capital Management, an investment management company based in London. He's also the author of the forthcoming book, Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. Bill, Professor ben Sarah, thank you for your time. Today's producer was Catherine Fink. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.